Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 190 of Getting It Out Podcast. That was last week's guest, Mastiff, with Midnight Creeper. That's off of their album that just came out last week, Leave Me the Ashes of the Earth, on E1 Music. And uh, I, I really like it, so I just wanted to play something else from him. Uh, Jim Hodge was a great guest on that last episode. I encourage you to go back and check that out. But I also encourage you to, to check out that record. And uh, obviously, I'm going to do my best to make you listen to it. I've now played three different songs. That one was Midnight Creeper. They have a video for it. You should check that out as well. You should check out all sorts of things. They're a great, great band. Their sound combines elements of hardcore, sludge metal, black metal, grindcore. Also, all the good stuff, right? All the good stuff in one. It's true crossover. I know what you're thinking. You're like, hey, man, you can't call something crossover that's not just metal and hardcore combined. I'm like, hold on a second. Yes, I fucking can. And yes, I did. But to your point, this episode features an interview with Michael Gibbons of the classic crossover act, Leeway. But before we get to that, and while we're talking awesome crossover, let's hear from the best crossover band ever from New Jersey that exists right now, Hot Zone, with the Getting It Out podcast intro song. Yeah, what's good, all you bitches and bitches? It's the illustrious Hot Zone, back at it again with another podcast in 
intro. They said, oh, you want to do a podcast intro for the Getting It Out podcast? I said, oh, shit, I got to write a rap first, don't I? They said, no, you don't got to write a rap first. It's a hardcore podcast. I said, all right, I think I can maybe make that happen. Let's see what we can do. Chicken. Make family out of friends. Make friends out of enemies. Peace to my family. Make friends till they bury all the places we've been. When they've been sitting it out, we be getting it in. Where you getting it out? I said all the places we've been. When they've been sitting it out, we'll be getting it in. Where you getting it out? Getting it out. All right, motherfuckers, you're in the right place at the right time. Rest in peace, Jay Money, and LFTW forever! Hello, here we are. How's it going? There are bugs in this room right now, and they're driving me nuts. And there's these two cats, and they're just sleeping about it. They don't care. They're not doing anything. One of them looked at one of them. He gave it a swat. He didn't get up. He just gave it a swat and then went back to sleep. It's ridiculous. What are they good for? There's bugs. They're trying to get in my beer, and I'm trying to just simply record this podcast intro, and it's extremely distracting. But enough about that. Today is September 12th as I record this, which means uh, the NFL football season is underway. Officially underway. I know they had that other game the other night, but who cares about those guys, right? Today, the, uh, the rest of the league got to work, and it was interesting but not that interesting. And it made me remember why I hate playing fantasy football. Because when you lose, it's just frustrating. It just sucks. It's just, it's just annoying to look at this stuff. Um, and I guess that's what you get. Uh, but, uh, but I do it anyway. And this is just, this just a little bit of jock talk. You know, you knew you were in for it. You knew football started. You know you always got to hear a little bit about sports from me before we get started. Uh, I was glad to see that, uh, number one, the New York Giants lost. Number two, the Washington football team lost. And number three, and most importantly, the Dallas Cowboys lost. So that's all I really needed. The Eagles happened to win, but uh, that's inconsequential. I don't, I don't expect anything out of them this year. Uh, so one win, they've already exceeded my expectations. So good for them. Um, don't get your hopes up, though, Philadelphia. We know how this goes. You should, you should be plenty aware. We got bigger concerns. Ben Simmons is still technically a sixer, although he could, he could leave and nobody would care at this point, right? I can't be alone in this. I mean, I know I'm not. Everybody's on my side, but... Uh, but he needs to go back to Australia for all I care. Anyway, okay, what's happening on this episode of the podcast? Well, I already told you, Michael Gibbons from Leeway sat down and had a chat with me. This one was actually set up by Carlos Ramirez from No Echo, so shout out to Carlos for that. Go to noecho.net if you don't already. It should be a daily stop for your hardcore news, um, metal too, but mostly hardcore. He's got, the, he's got his fingers on the pulse of the hardcore scene for sure more than i ever could or ever have even when i thought i was really deep in it he's deeper now still to this day um that website is 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 instrumental on keeping me up to speed and slightly in touch because i'm mostly out of touch but even following just their playlists on spotify keep me in the loop so go check that out quick update on my website getting it out.net it's still coming two years later it's still coming uh, still in the works, but near the finish line. I checked today, and we're just wrapping up some things for the mobile part, and uh, that, that should be it. And it should be out within a couple weeks. I don't want to get uh, too far ahead of myself, as I already have many times. You remember, if you're if you're a regular listener of this podcast and you've been listening for the last two years, you've heard me say like firm dates, <laughs> firm dates that it was going to be available, like like Cinco de Mayo of 2020. That was one of them. Do you remember that? Cinco de Mayo of 2020. 
there was the NFL draft of 2021. There, you know, really, really important landmarks on most people's calendars were days that I had pinned as the official release dates of gettingitout.net. But now I can say the official release date of gettingitout.net, it's in the future. Just like it's always been. Maybe that's where it always will be. But keep checking. Go to gettingitout.net and see if it's there. It might be. All right. So rather than me just keep talking about nothing, let's check out a classic leeway track on the outside and get into my conversation with Michael Gibbons. So uh, where are you from, Mike? So where am I from? I'm, I'm from um, 
Middle Village, uh, Queens, New York. Vaguely familiar with Queens. Have you, have you have you lived in Queens your entire life? Do you still live there now? No, no, I'm actually in Suffolk County, Long Island right now. But I, I was in Queens for 44 years of my life, yeah. That's why'd, my home ground, you know. <laughs> why'd you leave? Why'd you leave now? What's going on? Um, it was, uh, everything was... I, I tell you, Queens was pricing me out of where, where I wanted to live. I was no, I couldn't, I, I couldn't even afford it. Right. Yeah. To be honest with you. So, and out here, um, it's 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 just more spacious. It's a uh, it's a lot cleaner air and stuff like that. Um, it's not as congested anymore. Queens was really Queens is getting so crowded. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, I wasn't a. I didn't grow up as a city guy. I lived in Baltimore for a few years, and then okay. not maybe about a decade, and then to move out. Now I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is like you know the fuck is fucking Amish country, but it's but I'm just but I'm just in the suburbs, and I never thought I would love I would love it the way I do, just having having the room to do whatever. I my my first year I moved out here, I was terribly homesick. Like you know, I'm used to Queens County my whole life. Yeah, hustle and bustle. But after a year, I got so used to this. Well, good, good. No traffic, you know. You know, the pool in my backyard, you know, the everything, you know, the deck, the pool. I was just like, this is, thank God I didn't go home. <laughs> well, that th- those amenities help for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. So, um, so. I mean, I got nothing but love for Queens still. Right, right, yeah. You know, as Isaac would say, Queens all day, son. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm back in the borough like at least twice a month. So I'm always still going back and forth to hang out with the boys or whatever. Right, right, yeah. I, don't I love it out here. Yeah, I would, it's it's good to have both you know and if you could just yeah, visit sure. that's that's fine too so so growing up in queens um obviously at some point you get in involved in uh, i don't know what you would call it uh, underground music i call it extreme music sometimes um whatever but at some point you discover metal and hardcore what, what, what but but maybe go let's go a little bit before that when did you first find yourself paying attention to music you my older brothers and my sister they you know they, I'm, I'm the youngest of the siblings and um and, uh, you know, my brother was a real redneck Southern rock guy. He was always in, playing Skennard, Outlaws, Molly Hatchet, and stuff like that. Yeah. And my sister, you know, as well as other classic rock, but my sister was doing the same until 1979 when she started high school. She went to the Mary Lewis Academy in Queens, in, uh, like, Briar, Briarwood over there. She started school in September of 79. By that December, she had a Ramones jacket, like, you know, uh, safety pins all over, like, you know, a nose ring. Right. Anyways, my sister was like one of the real first true Lower East Side girls that hung out at CB's from 79, you know, into 1980, 81. And she, she was the one that got me into the real underground stuff, into the punk rock and before, before you know, before it turned into hardcore. Right. Because, you know, that's what hardcore is. It's like pretty much metalized punk. Sure, yeah. In my opinion. You know, yeah, no, no, no. But my, my earliest inspirations were definitely classic rock like Led Zeppelin and Sabbath Rush uh, Boston you know Pink Floyd Deep Purple all of that started me off of course Van Halen and uh, you know as as I was able to fuse both worlds together like classic rock punk rock and uh, heavy metal that's when my love of hardcore came in you know yeah yeah well I was gonna I was gonna ask you about the Rush thing because I noticed the 2112 in the username and uh, I, I didn't know if that was coincidence or if. if oh that no, was... no, that's <laughs> totally purposeful. Rush, my all-time favorite band. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great, great band, of course. Um, but uh, you know, it's, you, you mentioned two things. Just the, just the other weekend, I was in. Uh, it was two weekends ago. I was in Cleveland, and we did it. I was with my family, my wife, and our two daughters. 
and went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that was, believe it or not, the first time. You know, I'm, I'm 36, so I don't really have any excuse. I had plenty of opportunity. But that was the first time I'd ever been. That's the closest I ever got to CBGBs because now they have the awning in there. Yeah, that's you know? <laughs> you know? and But then, like, I was really – there was one point where I was stuck at a, a Neil Peart display where it was really just his just one symbol and just looking at it. It was like a more recent, like, Clockwork, Orange, Clockwork Angels uh, tour. Yeah. Like, you know, but I just, just – like, I was <laughs> explaining to my kids who don't give a shit how awesome – Neil Pert was, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a total waste of time. What the fuck do they care? But, yeah, but, but okay. So you, so you find, you find this music, your sister, uh, that's really cool. That she, did she stay in it with you when you were getting involved? Oh yeah. 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 Oh, very nice. So yeah, she uh, was part of the older group. She was like, she was part of the original. She hung out with like the guys like rabies and stigma and right. all those old, old, old school guys, you know, she was, you know, she hung out with Yana from uh, PMS, who later turned into Wench. Yeah. You know, the old girl groups. Like, you know, my sister was around for years. You know, she was one of the first of the of the hardcore generation to come out of CBGB. She was part of that crowd. Nice. So did you have, did you, were you able to avoid the, um, some of the hardships of getting into that scene? Or, you know, was there any gatekeeping with you or because you had your sister? Or were you just able to, to get in without any trouble? Um, but both, honestly. Yeah. Um, I remember my first time I went to CBGB. It was December of '85, and it was for Chromag's Agnostic Front. It was a Chromag. It was a wasn't a blue plate special gig. It was like two major, well-known hardcore artists. Right. And um, I was, believe it or not, I was wearing a Judas Priest shirt, Defenders of the Faith. Hell yeah. And um, <laughs> my sister said to me, "You're going in. You're going upstairs, and you're changing that shirt." Because, you know, I, I don't need what could happen from wearing that shirt at CBGB. Right. And a hardcore matinee day. And Yana said, no, he's not. He's Let him be who he wants to be. He's with us. He's being real. They'll respect that if they're real hardcore. So, I mean, I didn't go anywhere into the circle. I was a kid. I was 16 years old. I can't remember 85. So, but I'll never I'll, I'll never forget going there and, you know, and being amongst the whole crowd and everything. And, you know, I was with Yana and my sister, of course, you know, Nobody bothered me. Nobody came near me. My hair was semi long at the time. Yeah, you know. But there were other long hairs that were there. Not many, but like maybe three or four other guys I, I noticed. But um, going back to the gatekeeping thing, like um, I see growing up when by the time I was accepted into Leeway, I had long hair. I was a full blown long haired looking metal dude right. who had a love for hardcore. Yeah, you know, I, I I always loved the early the early stuff. You know, and uh. You know, Victim of Pain and stuff I was listening to. I was listening to Chromag's demo already, you know, stuff like that. Kraut, big, I was big into Kraut when I was a kid. Um, uh, and, like, you know, I looked like any other metalhead, so I still had to be careful. I went to CBGB every Sunday religiously since that day. Yeah. And I never once, never once walked into a CBGB circle, ever. <laughs> not with that appearance, not with the long hair, no way. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's something you didn't do in the 80s. If you had long hair, you went to CBGB Hardcore Matinee, you did not go in their circle. That was the skin circle. That was their day. That was their time. Metal had all the other places, the arena shows, the Ritz, Lamore, whatever. CBGB had one, you know, the, the skins had one place, and that was CBGB. And, you know, I mean, they, they came to plenty of other shows and stuff, but I'm just saying, you know, CBGB is like sacred ground, you know. Right, right. You, you, you just can't walk in there, you know, with long hair and be accepted you gotta you know they have to know you or you spend time on the scene or respect the whole thing you know yeah and it's funny for, for someone like myself you know being my age all i have 
is things I've read, stories I've been told, stories I've you know heard, um, and it's. I, but the the thing that's so consistent is that it it doesn't seem like anybody's exaggerating. I'm sure there's got to be a little exaggeration, but there doesn't seem like anybody is because you all say the same things. You know, and it's all so consistent that uh, you know there's got to be tons of truth to it. Oh, the, I'm 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 I'm, just, I'm being straight and authentic with you right now as I am. I mean, yeah, you know. It, it's, the, the skins back in those days were a violent bunch. To me, they were. They right. came off as violent. Yeah. If you got into one of them, you had a problem. You know, they, they definitely, they selectively, they would show up to metal shows and target long hairs just for beat towns and stuff like that. Right. And, uh, you know, they, it, it, was it right? No, it wasn't. But this is the way it was. Is, yeah, sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, it, you know, there was no reason for it. And I, I, I tried to call a lot of it out back then. But, you know, I didn't want to cause any trouble for myself. And sure. Yeah. I'm coming from a crossover band who started in the hardcore scene. Right. I mean, I got into Leeway through the original drummer's demo tape in high school. I went to high school with Sib and Arthur from Gorilla Biscuits. Okay. You know, Ernie Parada from Token Entry was about two years in front of me. Uh, David Gunner, he was like three, three years in front of me from Kraut. You know, the, the, all these guys that went to McClancy and uh, St. John's Prep and uh, Bryant High School, you know, these, you know, there was a, a certain, you know, hanging, you know, knowing these people and uh, seeing what they were into, like that. You know, they all knew my sister, but I never really went went until I never went to see these until '85. Then I started seeing what it was like. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Just being there, seeing it live, being at CBGB, seeing a, a true circle was great. Um, but it, you know, it did it did have a share of troublemakers. I mean, to be honest with you, the the skins did start shit with the long hairs. They really did. Right. From what I saw, and I mean, I think I got a pass because I was a leeway. Yeah. But I remember uh, at the MO, we did a show with Exodus and MOD at the Ritz, January 22nd, 1988. And I was simply just walking through the circle. Leeway, we, we went off, MOD was on. I was just simply walking past the circle. And three skinheads came right at me, just jumped me, knocked me on my ass, you know, whatever. So I fought them off as best I could. And I'll never forget it. The funniest thing was all three of them were in chrome action. Yeah. Three skinheads, three comments. I'll never forget that. It's like, yo. Like a uniform. A bunch of other skins pulled them off him. Like, yo, this guy was just walking by. What the fuck? Right. See, there were some bad guys. There were some good guys. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the same, same, same way now. Or, you know, obviously it's not, it's not nearly to that level now, but, um, but, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to start any shit at 52 years of age. It's ridiculous, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, from what I saw, that's what, that's what happened a lot. Right, right. Well, so, well, going back to you mentioned like getting into Leeway a couple times now, and of course we know you end up there. But was Leeway the first band that you were a part of in this scene? Yes, definitely. It was okay. So was that was that the first band you played in at all? Oh no, no, I used to be in a band with childhood friends called Beyonder. We were like a prog rock band. Yeah, we sort of wanted we wanted to be a rush, and right. it just wasn't working out. <laughs> that's cool. So. That's quite a quite an ambitious, you know. But for yeah, anybody, we were kids yeah. trying. We, I mean, we were kids writing 10, 12 minute long songs and like <laughs> trying to be the next yes in Rush. And at that point, nineteen eighty six and eighty seven, people were like, "Yo, that's over." Like, yeah, yeah, this is nineteen seventy one anymore, fellas. Enough. <laughs> yeah. Do you do is, do you have any of that stuff recorded at all? Oh, I, I got demo tapes somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it a painful? I mean, yeah. Is it a painful listen, or can you listen to it and, and at least like enjoy it for what it is uh, for its I, history? It's, it's, I, it's more of a painful listening, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So the stuff is melodic and well written, but it's just like 
it's you know 17 year olds trying to be rush and it just didn't work. <laughs> even yeah. when rush was 17 they would they didn't turn into the rush that we all love they no were, no no it took a zeppelin band. they yeah. were zeppelin, straight up zeppelin style <laughs> yeah no exactly even even on that even on that first record they weren't rush yet you know i mean oh, no even in fly yeah. by night like they, 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 they didn't have their seven six time signatures yet and stuff yeah. like that yeah. <laughs> all right so so when you so eventually you do join leeway and as you mentioned, you would you would heard leeway from the demo tape. Right. So how did so so you're not in a, not a, not a, you're in where, so where exactly do you come in pre born to expire post oh. the demo like in that, uh, that era post the enforcer demo before born to expire. I mean I saw them I saw them a few times I saw them at ten eighteen when they supported Bad Brains and I was like you know I like the sound of the enforcer demo because it it was like more of a metallic band they came from the hardcore scene but they. You know they they were had they had some heavy metal progressions, good picking, yeah. Uh, you know, accurate uh, up and down picking, and like reminded, excuse me, reminded me very much of Kill 'Em All and like stuff like that. So, you know, I you know I remember when they needed when the word went out on the street that they were looking for a guitarist because Gordon Ansis, he would they would he was the second guitarist in Leeway, the lead guitarist. He he left Leeway to join um, Tony Scaglione's band and Pat Burns. Tony, TJ was in Whiplash and Slayer. Okay. And uh, uh, there's confusion. He wasn't. He's not on any Slayer records. But when Dave Lombardo left the band for the first time on the Rain and Blood tour, yeah. Tony filled in. Tony from Whiplash. Okay. He did the whole uh, U.S. tour with them. That's you can claim it then. That's that's good enough to claim it. Yeah. Oh sure, without yeah. a doubt. So Gordon Gordon also played with New York City Mayhem and Agnostic Front. He was in Agnostic Front for a brief period of time. When, when Gordon left Leeway to form a band with Tony and Pat Burns from Death Rash, you know, they had instant record label interest right away because of Tony's time in Whiplash and Slayer and Pat being in Death Rash and, of course, Gordon Agnostic Front and New York City Man. So I stepped in to fill Gordon's shoes. Okay. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, for the band was supposed, to, was supposed to be called Ground Zero or Zero Hour or Joe Haggerty was supposed to be handling the vocals who later on went to replace Chris Nataro from Crumbsuckers. Um it, it, they, they they had record label interest, but nobody made a move on them, which was so strange. I never understood that. So it was like you know, Gordon left the band to to for an opportunity for this band that should have been huge, right? Right. Never materialized. That's, that's inter- when the business really started changing. You know. Well, that's interesting, and of course, I know we'll get to it, but the business ended up fucking you guys over quite a bit too. But the yeah, that, you had they had all that recognition, all that uh, talent, and didn't get anywhere. But then leeway when you joined. Well, so when you joined. Was what, what stage was Born to Expiring? Was it yet to be? Were you guys writing those songs? I mean, oh, the, I songs were, the songs were written. The only right, thing yeah. I helped do was Zowie and I, the uh, the bassist. He came from Death Rest himself, from Death Corps. Sorry, with uh, with Joe Cangelosi, who uh, he played in Death Corps with Joe Cangelosi, who went on to play with Creator and Whiplash as well. Yeah, Zowie was in a band with Joe, and Zowie left that band to, to join Leeway. So you know, and, and full disclosure, to be honest with everybody listening to the podcast. Um, I got myself an addition with Leeway through my sister, who was friends with Zowie, because she came from the scene. She was yep. one of the first on the scene. So they, I mean, I still had to beat out. There were 17 guitar players at addition, but I still had to beat them out, you know? Because wow. AJ wasn't taking that. AJ was like, yo, he still has to know how to play the songs, <laughs> which thankfully I did. So, I mean, we helped re- restructure the songs for the recording, but the material was already there. AJ had already written the songs from Born to Expire. We just helped re- rearrange them and put, you know, Get the more metallic sounding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but uh, you know, AJ did a, an excellent job on himself by writing those tunes. And Eddie handled all the lyrics, of course. 
And uh, I joined the band in September of 87. We did, my, I opened, uh, we did a show October 3rd at Urban Plaza with Suicidal and Carnival. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't believe my eyes stepping out onto that stage. And that was that was your uh, first show? With Leeway. With Leeway, yeah. 2,000 people. <laughs> right. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Talk about luck. Yeah, yeah, that's like, awesome. Oh, my God almighty, man. Well, that's, uh, so that's your first show with them. Do you remember, well, I'm sure you do, but or do you, what was the... What was the practice situation like with back then? Where did you guys practice? What did you, what was, how did you rehearse? We rehearsed at a place called Boo Studios. It was 251 West 30th Street. It was a building full of a bunch of rehearsal studios. And um, Giant was upstairs, I think. I can't remember. Oh, Giant was in the Rocket Rehearsal Building. I can't remember. Oh, God. Every, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I just can't think of it. It was a building of all rehearsal studios. And Boo yeah. Studios is on the third floor. And we usually rehearsed like... Um, to, 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 for pre-production for Born to Expire, we were rehearsing three times a week usually. Yeah. And Test uh, Measures was even worse. We were rehearsing four times a week just to keep <laughs> everything tight and everything was just like we overdid it with all those rehearsals. Everybody got sick of each other. We were like, oh. <laughs> when, when you guys had practices, was it, did you take it extremely seriously or was, there more, was it more of a hangout and playing some tunes? Some no, de- definitely seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look. They were, we all made banter and funny jokes, but right, you didn't. Go. You didn't have people hanging out and shit. And no, no, no. Yeah, Sometimes right. people would drop by and hang out, but as long as they were quiet, everything was cool. Yeah. No, we, all right, let's go. Enforce it. Let's go. Right. All right, uh, be loud. Let's go. Let's see where we're at. We're recording in a matter of weeks. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so well, the, the the I don't know because of course again I wasn't there and I only know what I read. But the 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 oh, I'm sorry. Um, Born to expire just sounds so so much better than everything back then and I mean that not necessarily just songwriting or anything but to, but you guys just sound so tight the production I, I know you've heard this all before the production sounds great the like what the hell happened that you guys were able to nail that process where was, other bands a, weren't it, it was definitely the recording studio Normandy Sound okay. in Warren Rhode Island that's where we recorded it the album has such a crisp sound to it it's so crisp and fresh still still yeah. stands, stands the test of time we just experimented a lot with placing, replacing cabinets, shifting cabinets, turning them in different directions, uh, repositioning microphones and stuff like that. And uh, the production quality was excellent. We had Tom Soros as the engineer, and he got us a great sounding record, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the, the assistant engineer's name was Jamie Locke. He got us, you know, they, they, they did a great job of getting us a great sound. I mean, remember Wargasm? Yeah. They recorded up there before us, and their record sounded excellent. So we were like, Chris Williamson, our manager at the time, he was the one that found the studio. He was like, this, this place is great. And he produced the record. So we went up there, and that's how we got the sound of Born to Expire. After Born to Expire was released, of course, it tr- blazed the trail, and every other hardcore band went up there to record, <laughs> which is great. It's complimentary to us. Sure. You know, Killing Time and Chromags and everybody else, sick of it all. And, but, uh, the, but I guess everybody didn't get to but uh, we might as well get to it now. People didn't get to hear it, though, for, what, it was two, almost two years? Uh, about a year and a half, yeah. So, so it was still like a well kept secret, I guess, until it hit the streets. Or how did so? How did actually answer me this? How did that work back then? Like, so when you had this record that you, you recorded, and then it doesn't physically come out for a year and a half, where was it? Just like, did you have any tapes that you were able to listen to? Like, you know, now you go and you record, you got the fucking yeah, thing on the disc right away. Or we what, had the rough mix. We all left with a copy of the rough mix. Wasn't a lot of bass guitar in the mix. It was yeah. just a rough mix, you know? So, you know, we got home and listening to it. And because of the delays, the record company and the business red tape 
that that rough mix somehow got out into the streets and it went out thousands of copies everywhere. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, everybody had it before the record even came out. Right. So it, it definitely hurt the band. It, de- it definitely hurt the band. We wanted. We were looking for a. We recorded it in November of '87, November 16th and November 20th of '87. Oh, that's over my birthday. It's a good, good choice. <laughs> yeah, my mine was. My, I just turned 19. My birthday was November 10th. No, uh, mine's the 17th. So you, you uh, got you got me in there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. Birthday. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and it was all over the streets, and and you know we're we're, we're hanging. I could you know. It really, it really didn't hurt us. We were shooting for a January of '88 release, but then, you know, with Profile Records had a, their distributor was Landmark, but we didn't have a major distributor. So our management at the time, Chris Williamson, he wanted to take that record and shop for a major distributor, so it could be in the record store shelves in your average record store chain back then, Sam Goody or Tower Records and stuff like that. Because Profile didn't do a thing for any band that, other than Run DMC, they didn't do a thing for us. Yeah. Cro-Mags or Murphy's Lane, they really didn't do anything. It didn't help us, they hurt us, actually. Um, so for about a year, it, it didn't come out till January of 89. So for a year and a year and four months, it floated around. And I remember hearing it at Rockaway Beach one day, coming out of a car. <laughs> so I woke up to the car window, and you know what it is? It's Evan and Bobby from Biohazard. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to it. And that's when they just formed Biohazard that summer, summer of 88. They Man. just formed So I was like, hey, fellas, because... But I remember when they were carnival roadies, those guys. They used to roadie for carnival biohazard. That's funny. And uh, I love biohazard. I was just listening today, trying to make some jokes about what their best album was. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> biohazard is yeah, great. Right. Um, the, so, I don't know. I guess that was, that was what I wondered about, how, how music got leaked back then. You know, now we know how it happens. It's just, you know, it goes real easily. But, sure. But then, then it actually, then at least, at least... Then people had to kind of work for it and dub their own tapes, right? Or... Yeah, 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 yeah. People were people were recording it and recording it, and it, it went all over. But it did it did hurt the band in a way because we didn't have the product by the time the product came out, which was January of '89. Um, you know, a lot of people already owned it. Right, right. And I mean, you know, so I mean, yeah, it, it, I mean, and Profile Records didn't promote it or do anything for it. So we're not talking Metallica record sales here, of course. Right, right. <laughs> But to again, you know, word of mouth. You know, that's the only promotion Lee we ever had. Still, it was the prime time for for crossover. You know, that was that was that was the era. I would say the timeline really screwed us though, because we we should have had that out in '88. Again, it happened in Desert Measures. We, it happened with Desert Measures. We recorded Desert Measures in April of 1990. Didn't come out till June of '91 because our manager wanted to shop it again mm-hmm. for major label for a major distribution deal. He was looking for something in it for himself as well, as far as cash. Right. And that's why the major delays. We were like, look, it just has to come out. Let it come out on profile. We got to get it out. And by the time Desperate Measures came out in June of 91, the, the leeway boat started, you know, shifting and started sinking, you know, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. It just started going under because all the delays, the lack of touring, because we wanted to tour in support of something. We did we did local shows all the time, but we didn't tour as much as other bands because we never had any tour support from the record label or our management. Yeah, you no, know, it's just it was we, we we were in a bad debacle with terrible management and a terrible record label. Well, it's 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 a it's a shame because everything in from my perspective, who wasn't around for it, you know, and when I first heard of Leeway, Leeway was not a band anymore, um, and all I got to see was got to see in here was awesome combination of crossover combination of hardcore metal. 
um, with one of my favorite album covers ever. I think it's like the best album cover for a hardcore. I, I don't know what, but but anyway, I'll get to that in a second. But but it was just like, how is this not the biggest thing? You know, because but you, you've explained it pretty thoroughly. I, I mean, it, I, it could have been in, in the words of Howie Abrams, the author. You know, and Howie was also A and R. In effect, he always said, "I thought you guys were going to be monster huge, yeah. huge." It just, it just didn't, and it could have happened, but it didn't because we had a record label that wouldn't put this record in the stores. What did, what, what hand did they have in the record other than eventually distrib- distrib- distributing it? They, I mean, they, the recording budget. Right. They gave you the, they, every record label gives you the money to record it, but everything's recoupable. You got to pay that, that you, you know, they, they remember they sent this royalty statement saying with $13,000 in the red. And we're like, well, how can we pay you back if you don't promote the record? It's not selling. <laughs> right. You don't. Right. It, the record is not in any stores. Yeah. It's in Tower Records down the block from Profile. Profile was at 740 Broadway. Tower Records was like 710 Broadway on Fourth Street. I was like, listen, that's that's the only store where people people actually have to travel to buy the Levy record. <laughs> they just can't leave their house and go to the local mall. Right. And well, they could in Queens because in Queens County in the Queens Center Mall. Uh, the Leeway record was available there. And the only reason why is because if a guy I went to high school with ordered it so yeah. it could be stocked in there, my friend Louis, <laughs> Louis Penn, he was the he was assistant manager of the place. He ordered the Leeway record yeah, so it could be stocked in there. But other, if it wasn't for Louis, it wouldn't have been in there. It wasn't in the Sam Goody down the block of the TSS that was on Metropolitan Avenue. It just, you know, it, the, the record was nowhere. That's yeah, it was in the CGB record canteen, that, you know, places like that. And, right. Some records and you know silly rock and roll places like that, but like not 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 it, you know like I always say you know when people say to me word of mouth is the best promotion a band can have, I am living standing proof that you are wrong. <laughs> it is not, and we we can go by demographics or geographical location. If you're from the East Coast, word of mouth will take you as far as Pennsylvania. After that, you're pretty much no one's who you know. Sure, we you know we had fan, a fan a big following in Cleveland and in uh, Indiana, like so. But for the most part, like like South Dakota never heard of Leeway, you know, or or, 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 or right. Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and the same thing if you start on the West Coast, you're going to get as far as Phoenix. The, the word of mouth, right. word of mouth is not the best form of promotion. It's not. You need to have a poster. You need to have a, your record in a store. You need to have a visual. Entity or, a, or some sort of visual display of your band. If, 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 if you don't have a record or a poster in the store anywhere, nobody's going to know. If you're not plastered on the side of a city bus or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's, well, especially especially back then, you didn't have the internet and uh, what, exactly because what because what we consider word of mouth now is not the same word of mouth. Then. Sure, exactly, yeah. Word of mouth now is is is, is visual, like you're saying. It's right. seeing I'm, it. I'm talking about then, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So who? Because I, I asked and I, I told you I really like it. Where did the where did the cover art come from? To expire. Uh, a, a man, a guy named Bevan Stone, uh, did the artwork. And is that something that like you guys commissioned or just came across and saw? I this think, and... I, if, if memory serves me correctly, it was just Bevan's idea huh? of of of, of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's timeless man. Yeah. Yeah. Expiring, actually dying. Right. So that that's what I think is from. I think I think that was Bevan Stone's entire idea. I could be wrong. If uh, you know, if AJ, if you, if you hear this podcast and I'm wrong, sorry, but it's it's 30 plus years. Come on, sorry, man. we don't fact check on here, and I don't I don't allow fact checking <laughs> back because you know this is the this is it. This is the word. Uh, so so born to expire. You mentioned you didn't get to tour much, but 
but you did do some you did do some dates at least out, oh, yeah, we, outside we, of New York. We, yeah, we did a national tour. Bad Brains had wanted to expire. Yeah, I mean we, we went all across the country and into Europe and everything, and that was great. But we received no tour support. We we went on the road in a friend's van that we borrowed. Right. And thankfully, the Bad Brains were gracious enough to take our equipment in their rider trucks. <laughs> what was Bad Brains touring on then? What record? They were touring uh, touring on the Quickness album. Okay, I love that one. That's With great. Yeah, that's that's the hell of a tour. Um, so you do all that, and that's um, when, when when would that be? If you're touring, if you're touring in support of Born to Expire, was that after it came out or before? Yeah, summer of '89. Summer of '89. So then, when when did writing for Desperate Measures begin? It, it began. Uh, it began during. Believe it or not, we started putting the uh, the, the material for Desperate Measures together back in. Believe it or not, '88, '89. We were coming up with the riffs, but when we were done with that, when we were done with um, the Bad Brain tour, when we got back from Europe, uh, that's when we went into the studio full throttle and put all of everything for Desperate Measures together in a in a pretty quick fashion. It was great. Well, so the, we, the the reason I asked that is because there's there's obviously a a difference in direction from one album to the other. It's not a huge one, but it's clearly a more metal one. So without a doubt. So while you're playing, while you're out there playing and supporting Born to Expire, but so what, like what is what is influencing you guys to change the leeway sound at that point? Um, uh, that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I no. guess. Well, I guess you, yes, since you didn't technically write any of the, or you, you know, you weren't in on the writing of the Born to Expire stuff. This is right. the first. This is the first right. uh, Mike Gibbons stuff, right? Right. I mean, I, 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 we were gear. We were, we were just, you know, the lineup had Pokey in the band. He, you know, he was another long hair from Flushing Queens. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Zantos, he was another long hair from Astoria. You know, we, we, we were, we were all into heavy metal. We all liked heavy metal, all of us. Yeah. Metallica. So we, we just tried our hand. Had a more metallic sounding record, and it wasn't, you know, the fan base didn't receive it that well. The way, you know, they wanted Born to Expire, but I was hoping that it would it would open us up to a wider audience. To be honest with you, you know, to every one hardcore fan, there's six thousand metal fans. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I was hoping that it would broaden the horizon and make us a bigger band. Right. That we, we'd have a chance of any sort of success, anything. Yeah. I'm not looking to be Paul Stanley with a house on the hill. But you know anything where you can make a comfortable living of, of the business would have been nice. And, and um, the record company dropped the ball again. And we were searching for a distributor. They wouldn't promote us. Wouldn't do anything. They even did less for Born to Expire. I mean, uh, Desert Measures than they did for Born to Expire. I mean, they did nothing for Born to Expire. Desert Measures. They pretty much didn't even. <laughs> they just pretty much left the, the record in the, in the packages. They didn't send that out. They didn't do anything. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, how long were you guys, what was the contract with Profile? How, how long were you stuck with them? How many five albums? Five years for five albums. Ooh. And finally they dropped us, which was great. Right. right. Was there an attempt to get them to drop you after Born to Expire? Did you guys ask oh, yeah, to be released? Oh, yeah, we tried everything. They wouldn't let yeah. us go. These people are crazy. You know, making, they, they were using us as a tax write-off. Gotcha. Us, Cromack, Murphy's Law, they would, they would say to the U.S. government, hey, these, are, these, these were business ventures, they failed. They, the only reason why those bands failed is because you refused to promote them. You, you refused to do anything for them. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, I, I, Murphy's Law and um, Cromack's, they, they had the same, the same issues, right? With oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Cromack's were a household name because of their originality, and they were one of the first on the scene, you know, and, you know, yeah. they... They had larger-than-life personas, like Harley Flanagan was in the band. Yeah, and like, yeah. Harley Flanagan is a walking billboard. You could sell him to anybody, you know? Right, right. Harley could have been a movie star after <laughs> Cormac, you know? <laughs> you know he, 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 just himself, he sells the band. He know, still does it. Just his appearance, you know, right. his image and everything. You know, but, I mean, you know, John, Harley, Mackie, it was all an excellent formula, Age of Coral. Yeah, yeah. It was a well, it was a, it was a, perfect, it was a perfect storm, that record. It was an excellent formula. Well, well, it absolutely was, and you know, I, I admittedly love Best Wishes as well. So, oh, sure, they, why, they, sure yeah. why? I love Best Wishes. I mean, me and Paris, we always discuss Best Wishes. Yeah, you know, very, you know, it's such an excellent record. Well, that's another one too, where uh, right, they went just full blown metal. Yeah, they, like exact. That's where I was headed. Um, and it's, I know, I know, quite a few bands were doing it at the time, and I don't know that anybody was. I don't want to say I don't want to say everybody was unsuccessful, but I don't think anybody made this. The leap that maybe they were looking for, but there was right. still, but it still produced some great records. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm not going to sit there and lie to people. I, I did. I, 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 I always wanted to be able to make a living from music. Yeah, you know, would have been nice, but being some, you know, doing something that you love and and being able to sustain yourself financially from it, economically. What, what did you do back then while you were in Leeway? I, I hold beer. I was I was a beer lover, an independent beer distributor. Uh, you know, I, I, I got, yeah, I got up for work five days a week, got into the truck, drove right. it around, and delivered beer to all the local <laughs> bars in Queens, Astoria, Brooklyn, wherever my house was. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, so what? No, it always worked. Yeah. So was everybody else? Like I don't know. Leeway at that time. I guess that would be the, that would be the height of leeway um, between those two records, or maybe. maybe yeah, it's just, um, what was the mood in in leeway back then with AJ, with Eddie, with Pokey, with you? What, like, were we were we all gearing up to try and make a big move, or was it was there was there other guys that were happy staying more in the hardcore realm, or you know, what, like what was the vibe back then? And we we all shared the same vibe of moving on and branching out, and of course expanding and developing. We definitely wanted to be more successful where, where we could, you know, become a bigger act. Hopefully, you know, again, I'm going to, I'm going to go into this, Dan, I'm going to say it straight. I, I you know, if, if, if you think if, if Kiss approached Agnostic Front and said, listen, we want you to support us on the next arena tour we have, everything sold out, stadiums, is that, you think they're going to say no? You know, I don't think they're going to say no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think anybody's going to say no to a deal like that. I mean, we wanted to be a bigger band. We yeah. honestly wanted to be a bigger band. I wanted to be, you know, I can't say a rock star, but I would have loved to have been an arena selling act. I would love, who the hell wouldn't? Yeah, yeah. 
if Judas Priest made me an offer to join Judas Priest, I'd be like, yeah, goodbye, anyway, <laughs> see ya. You know, it's just, it's common sense. You know, you want to, you want to be able to sustain yourself doing something that you love. And if you could do it lucratively, why not? Everybody's looking for success. It's the right. American system. It's capitalism. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what it is. I mean, there were guys like, you know, that were rave, like guys like Rabies, mad respect to him, mm-hmm. you know, keeping big business, you know, out, out of hardcore. He always wanted to keep it streets. Yeah. You know, and same like, like a guy like Ian McKay, you know, uh, from uh, Minor, Minor Threat. Threat, you know, here's a guy that just flat out, what, what was it, with Discord Records, I think Atlanta offered him $10 million to buy it. And Ian McKay was just like, no. I mean, dude, that, guy, that guy's amazing. I would have been like, where do I sign? And maybe <laughs> I'll do it for why, half. Yeah. And maybe that's why nothing ever happened for me because of right. uh, the, 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 the seven deadly sins, uh, greed being one of them. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. all got a little bit of it somewhere. I know, yeah. but yeah. it seems like Ian's like this pure dude. I was like, man, I can't believe Ian didn't sell. Jesus. Whatever, you know. Let's say God bless him. Yeah, that's the guy who's definitely stuck to his word on, uh, no, on a, a lot of shit. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Yeah, that guy he put his foot down and he kept it there. Um, he, he really did, Ian McKay. Yeah. Guys like him. So, so for between your time, well, during your time in, in Leeway, what what do you think would be like your, I don't know, let's just say, what's what would be like the coolest moment that you had? In, the thing, the, the like when you look back at Leeway, be like, that was that was the height of my time in that band. Like one moment. I think it, I, th- I think it, ha- it would have had to have been the year of 1990, that summer. We were doing some really big shows. We were at the best we've ever been performance-wise. We were razor sharp. You know, we were able to fill the Ritz on our own. You know, uh, it was really, you know, it was a really good time for me, 1990. That was a good year. Yeah. We recorded Desperate Measures, you know, we we did a bunch of shows all throughout the autumn of that year and into the winter, and uh, of course it started waning out when it turned into nine. When it turned into nineteen ninety one, we kept we kept pushing, we kept plugging local shows, we were doing our own touring, and and uh, it just it just at that point things started like the downslide started going. Yeah, Desert Measures came out in June of ninety one. Again, another year later than it should have been out. It should have been out in June of nineteen ninety. If, if these were two records would have came out in a timely fashion, we might be talking about a different story here. Even even still being on profile records. Right. What happened was when the management took the record to its shop for better record deals, he took too long doing so. He, he a year plus delays for each record destroyed the band. It yep. ruined the band. It, it, it you know you know the, it, as Martin Scorsese said in the movie Quiz Show, you have to remember something, kid. The the American public has a very short memory. Yeah. And it's true, like right. you know, Lee, Lee, Leeway. Oh, that band that did that album with the guy stretched out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they have another record. Ah, you know, haven't heard much about it. Yeah, good for them. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You no, know. that's that's unfortunately true. And unfortunately, and what the thing was, our drummer Pokey was working at Important Records at the same time, and Pokey's getting all this inside info through Howie Abrams when Howie worked there, and you know, Bobby Hamill worked there with them from Biohazard. And, Chris Williamson was asking too much money to all these distributors, for all these major distributors, for us, Cro-Mags and Murphy's Law, as a package deal. He was asking for an astronomical dollar amount, and everybody kept refusing him. No, 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 that's why it took a year. The guy was looking for something for himself yeah. for, to pocket while he was arranging that deal. And, that, it, you know, he, he didn't do the band any favors, this guy. What, was, what about that? Did, did that situation have to do with your departure? 
no. Uh, I mean, I mean, we we were definitely having creative differences. AJ and I, we were seeing, we were having, we were definitely seeing things differently. So by by by, we went to Europe again in 1991 with um, in support of Desperate Measures when it came out. We did our own headlining tour, and for most parts, the shows were great. There was like there was like one city where 11 people showed up, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but for most part, we were on. You know, the, the shows were great. You know, we finally, you know, the European Europe is always much better for bands. Oh yeah, yeah. To play. Yeah. It's really just great. It's great scenes. You know, the U.S. is just. I I always look at that U.S. audience as having too much. If you're not. If you're not on MTV or if you're not all over the radio or whatever, you're you, you forget it. You know, it's like like I have childhood friends that see me with a record in a store and a video on MTV, and I'm stacking a handrail full of Budweiser and, <laughs> and holding it into a bar, and yeah. they're just like, ah, this band can't be that big, you know, you know, they're not big or good because like, look, he still has to work. That's the American mind mind thought. Success is always equated with money. Right, right. With success always means financial success in America. And that, you know, and to an extent, it's true. But um, AJ and I started seeing we we, we were just butting heads. Well, and I can't just say AJ. When we were in Europe, and this is full disclosure, I'm just being honest. You know, the, the journey from city to city, we're in the bus. You know, not the bus, the the van, whatever, the seated van. You know, um, we we uh, you know, I I had my headphones on. I'd be listening to my Megadeth, Testament, Exodus, whatever. <laughs> right. You know. That's me. That's who I am. Right, right. These guys, they got very, very, very into the Seattle movement. Okay. I mean, yeah. like Pokey, AJ, Poodle, all these guys were doing was listening to Mother Love Bone, Temple of the Dog, Pearl Jam 10, and Nevermind. And, and, and I was like, what are you guys doing, man? You keep listening to that shit. And AJ said something back to me like, oh, when you get home, why don't you try listening to this? Maybe you tell your friends that you got turned on to something new. I'm like, That's, that, 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 might, that might be new, but it's not us. It's not us. Yeah. So we get back from Europe and we do the show at the Marquee, which was great. Sick of it all. We played with uh, Sick of it all, and um, great show. Then we did the uh, the June show with uh, AF. Uh, it was the uh, the riot show they called it, where the big riot broke out at the Palladium. Yeah, it was Ignacio from Murphy's Law, Leeway, Lunatics, like you know, uh, Nuclear Sold. I don't know if they played the bill. They were billed on on the bill, but uh, going to going to the studio to write for the third record. Uh, you know, AJ was just writing this. Kind of Seattle Soundgarden sounding stuff. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I wasn't taking to it too well. And any riff I tried to introduce, Pokey and AJ would shoot it down. Like, ah, you know, nah, nah. nah. They they were pretty much, you know, saying, nah, we 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 want we want to change directions. And I remember saying to Pokey, listen, dude, I know you. You're a metalhead from Queens, bro. You went to Queens College. I remember you before Leeway, before I was in Leeway. I remember you hanging out at Lamore. I said, this is this. We should be going back to Born to Expire at the very least. They didn't like Desert Measures fine, but let's not forget our roots. Let's go back to who we were. Right. And, they, they, you know, AJ was our, was always very eclectic as far as that stuff. He always wanted to do something that was different, and that's great. I commend him for that. But Adult Crash, compared to the first two records, was way too different Yeah. to me. It was just like, I remember a girl commenting to me saying, Jesus, I heard the new leeway, Mike. It sounds like one of the songs could be on Z100. That was, that was like a pop radio station back in the day. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know. You know, whatever. I mean, the band originally broke up by that point. We originally broke up while we were writing the material for... Um, Adult for, Crash. Uh, Adult Crash. Yeah. And the band literally broke up because uh, AJ was offered a spot 
in, in the new both worlds that was okay band John Joseph worlds. yeah it was going to be John Joseph AJ I think Todd was on second guitar Mackie and Zowie on bass and uh they had an instant buzz they had an instant record label interest Columbia was going to pick them up right away so AJ actually called me and said dude make your availability known because I'm out of here I'm done Oh, I'm done with Eddie. I'm done with everything else. I'm done with all of this. And so, but it didn't work out the way they wanted to. And so they reformed, but you know, with one guitar. Yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with it anyway. So you could look at it, you could look at it either like I was shown the door or I left either way. You know, right, right. <laughs> it was sort of that sort of thing. But I mean, I never held it against them or anything else. You know, that's the way you want to go. That's great. Yeah. But you, well, a couple of things that with as far as Leeway Records. It's interesting how none of none of the Leeway record, records sound the same. I, you know, there's those those four, uh, whatever, Born to Expire, Desperate Measures, The Dog Crash, Open Mouth Kiss. It's all different, you know. And, it could be four different bands, really good. Yeah, and uh, I think most people, most fans of Leeway, would, would agree that Born to Expire and Desperate Measures are the, the cream of the crop there. Right. And yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't really find the other two listenable. I know some people do. Um, but but whatever that's I'm not just trying to talk shit on those but the, but when, so when you when they moved on or you left or however we want to put it well I agree with you Adult Crash I was like well I nearly yacked on like, what the fuck dude yeah but, but, no. but so when did you what happened to you then as, as is what I'm trying to get to when when you left Leeway where did you go because as far as I know and correct me of course if I'm wrong but I don't. What, did you, were you did you join another band? Did you stay oh, yeah, in no, the scene? I, I put together a band called. Uh, we're on Facebook. You can go to the Facebook page. It's called SP111. Okay. That was the name of the band. Yeah. And we named it that. That we named it that crazy wacky name because our drummer at the time had a dream. He met Neil Pert of Rush, <laughs> and Neil Pert wrote that on. He asked him for his autograph, and he wrote that on a piece of paper. <laughs> so I was like, oh, look, why don't we, it could be a sign. Let's name the band after that. Maybe. So we did. Uh, we released two CDs. Independently, of course, not on any labels. Yeah, and um, they were like it was more in the Megadeth, Metallica vein, more like prog okay. rock. Yeah, prog metal, prog speed metal. Yeah, and uh, we had lots of le- label interest, you know, lots of record label interest, and of course, nobody made a move. It was different. Right. Nobody, made, you know, we, I had plenty of sit downs at A and R about it. You know, they, you know, at the CMJ convention, handed out, it was well received, and uh, but it just never happened, you know. So did you step? So you still kept playing metal, but did you step away from the hardcore scene, or were you still involved in that at all? Were you still going to shows? Or I, yeah. I mean, I I I I don't think I had a choice. I had to step away from the hardcore scene because after my departure from Leeway, it was like I never even existed. Yeah. Like, hardcore, nobody, no, nobody. I couldn't book a hardcore show. Nobody would even. Nobody remembered me, or or you know, or cared to remember me, or stuff stuff like that. I mean, people. I, I guess. People delegated me to like, oh, the long haired guy, the metal guy, and we, you know, that's yeah, what people yeah. looked at because nobody, you know, it was like uh, I tried, I shopped it, I shopped my material the best I could, but he, you know, at that, at that time the business was changing day by day. The guy you knew yesterday, he wasn't in the same position. He was, he's not in that same position anymore. Guys, like you could say, hey, listen, I got a CD I want you to listen to. Everybody I once knew that were in A and R positions. They weren't there anymore. They were changing labels or changing jobs or changing titles. And and the, the record labels were going through massive, massive budget cuts at the time. See, the Seattle movement was in full swing. You know, this prog rock metal stuff wasn't really doing it anymore unless you were already established. Yeah. Unless you were Anthrax or Metallica, the big four, or Megadeth, 
you know, Slayer and stuff like that. But um, as far as the hardcore thing, me, me being on the hardcore scene again, it was a more metal band. But we, we, we did a few shows. Yeah. You know, we played out a lot, but uh, mainly local people would show up and, and enjoy the show. The local metal guys. Yeah. Well, what do you, like, no, obviously, I mean, I know the, the obvious one here, but aside from maybe being more careful about the, the label you get involved with, what about the business of being in a band that you know now, do you wish you had known then? I, I, I mean, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, what, what comes to mind is the business is such a cutthroat industry. I, I don't think I would have, uh, I think I, I, I honestly would have just uh, <laughs> went to Wall Street or something and became a broker. <laughs> Seriously. Really? You, like, you, you, you wouldn't have just, I don't know. Like, it seems like, do you, do you is do you wish maybe you enjoyed it more, or do you feel like you took it but for granted? Yeah, I'm like because like you were too worried about it being about getting fucked over. In those five years, I was at Leeway. Yeah, played some great big shows, excellent tours. We toured with Exodus, Megadeth, with Bad Brains. So to, you know, we always supported the major the major uh, national acts when they came to town, like Testament or Overkill or right, which is incredible. You know, that's, that's all. Awesome. It, it, it was a great experience, but there was more. There was never that moment where you felt content, mm-hmm. was, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anybody feels content, but I would have much rather been in Metallica's position than Leeway's position. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you gotta have impeccable timing and impeccable luck, and you have to be in with the right people. You know, like Steve Miller, the Steve Miller song, uh, "Get a Second Hand Guitar." I mean, the BTO song, "Taking Care of Business." Get yeah, a yeah, second hand yeah. guitar. Chances are you'll go far if you get in with the right bunch of fellows. You know, <laughs> it's all a business. You got to get in with the right bunch that's going to do the right thing by you. That's going to promote the band. Like we needed a manager like Peter Grant, like Led Zeppelin had. Right. That guy put Led Zeppelin all over the world. <laughs> well, I think it's. I mean, it's an easy thing to say. Um, you wish you would have taken it. You know, taken not taking it for granted. Whatever I'm trying to say, but. But it's way harder to do while you're doing it. Like you said, you want to be yeah, you, you, you want to be ambitious. You want to keep going because that's what you're supposed to do. Because if you're not, then you know we were very work. ambitious. We did our best. We tried to get out there, but there was always something in this universe that that, that anything that any good deal that came up for Leeway got fell through or got nixed, and it was like the universe was like against us. Believe me, folks. Anybody that's listening, it's not a pity party. It happens to a lot of bands and. You know, I'm thankful for for the time I was in the band and what I experienced. But, you know, touring the country and touring the world, you know, it's not like I got to stop and look at Mount Rushmore. Yeah. You know, we, we were just driving by, oh, there's Mount Rushmore. Because we had to get to the next city by 2 p.m. the next day. Right. Sounds, you right. know, it's not like, a, oh, there's the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's real nice. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> you know, there was no, you know, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, you know, you're constantly in motion. Yeah, no time to stop and smell the roses. Yeah, I mean, you know, the business now is is way way worse off than it was then. I mean, uh, like like what Frank what Frank Zappa quoted. Like, if you go to YouTube and you pull up that Frank Zappa interview, where he said, you know, the worst part of this business is when they they gave it to the kids. The kids could, could when the kids started controlling the late eighties, which is exactly what happened to Leeway and other bands. He said, oh, listen, when they started giving kids A and R positions. And uh, they were, the kids were like, well, you know, I'm a kid. I know what's big. I know what's happening. I know it's going to be big. And that band's not going to be big. And that band's not going to be big. And this band's going to be big. You know, a lot of times that didn't come to fruition. Frank And, and Frank Zappa says, the best part of my my time was the old men went out to the bars. The old men A&R guys. And they took a chance. 
They signed the band they knew nothing about. They took a chance. And that was the band that turned into friggin' the Eagles. Yeah. Or, That's... you know, like, you know, if you, if you ever hear the song Peace of Mind by Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he, he uh, smoked a big cigar and drove a Cadillac car and said, boys, I think this band's out of sight, you know? <laughs> signed a record company contract. Like, it's, it's, and Gene Simmons on the big interview with, Jen, with Dan Rather, he says the same exact thing. Nowadays, you know, it's terrible. Back then, you had signing bonuses. The record company stuck with you for three or four records. They cultivated you. They helped you develop. They 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 put money into you. You know, they gave you producers and and uh, and, and engineers. And nowadays, it's just by the time the late '80s came around, the old saying came up: they throw you against the wall. If you stick, you stick. You fall, you fall. Well, that's 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 interesting perspective. I never I haven't seen that Zappa interview, but that makes a makes a hell of a lot of sense. And, oh yeah, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, so so since then, and since you did SP, what is it? One one one. Is that yeah, how many SP ones are in there? One eleven. Okay. If so, you go to Facebook or whatever, you punch in SP one one one, you'll see the page come up. I will. I'll check it out. But so you so you did that, and that obviously you know covers several years. But so I know now you're playing with Black Ice, right? Which is you told me is a cover band. I I looked that up. Looks like a looks like a pretty pretty cool gig to have. Um, yeah, it's it's great. And and you had mentioned to me also that you did do some of the the leeway NYC stuff with Eddie. You played a show or two. Um, what's your involvement there? Is that is that where that ends? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I don't think it's happening much anymore. But I mean, uh, when Eddie was in the show, Eddie reached out to me and said, "Would you like to play on stage for one song, for one set of the band?" I said, "Sure, I'll do the A seven show, no problem." Yeah. You know, I just wanted to you know play like have two of the original guys from Born to Expire playing the show. That's very and cool. That, I mean, I, I just did it just to fill in, you know, we had a great time. It was fun. That's about it, you know. That's cool. I, I had him on here a couple of years ago now, like maybe two years ago, and I was asking him about why it's um, why it's different now, why it's Leeway NYC and why it's Leeway. And he, he had a he had an interesting response to it that I thought was kind of cool. And it was that, if I remember correctly, it was more so that it was just out of uh, respect to the rest of you guys, like to not try and take it and say like, oh, I'm I'm Leeway. Right, right, right. So, yeah. he, he, he used the NYC to not go under the full Leeway moniker, the Leeway yeah. brand. Right, yeah. But he, it's like he was just, you know, he was just doing the Leeway hits with, uh, like, it's a, like nearly a Leeway tribute act, honestly. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's cool, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, you know, that's great. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually went to support him. I went to a few shows without me playing. Just I went to two or three shows just to see how it turned out and everything. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Do you, do you have any contact with the other guys these days? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because um, a, a friend of ours who's been a Leeway fan since the dawn of time, you know, since he, uh, he uh, he's interested in uh, backing out. Uh, he wants to do a – he approached me with the idea during uh, September or October of doing the Leeway documentary. Okay. And he wants to back it. And I said, no, well, definitely. We'll, we'll, so we're trying to put everything together now for a Leeway doc to see if – It'll ever come to fruition, and it should. It will one day, but you know, it's moving slowly because we got to get all all the ducks in the row and everything. So, yeah, um, he's going to be uh, directing this um, documentary that we're going to be doing, and uh, hopefully, it sees the light of day by uh, in January, maybe the winter. We'll see. Yeah, oh, that's very, that's that's awesome, um, and I think a lot a lot of people would like to see that because, as you know. Pfft. Leeway is held in extremely high regard, especially in the hardcore. Um, and uh, it's it does it's one of those bands that it never mattered how metal you guys started to sound. It was <laughs> like it, it 
You'd never know though, because you know when you when you look at the hardcore, when you look at all the hardcore pages, there's so much more. I mean, Leeway is a band that just drifted in the shadows. You know, there there are the purists that know us and recognize us and remember us, but because of our terrible record label, we never became as big as the other bands. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we we were there. We were one of the first true crossover bands, but um, you'd never know the Leeway. I mean. I know people that heard of uh, Gorilla Biscuits. They know of Biohazard. They know of this band, uh, Sick of It All, and this and that. Leeway who? No, I never, I never, <laughs> I never heard of them. Now they got to dig a little. They got to make it worth it. You know, they got to get in there and get their hands dirty. Fine. But it, so. it's just that's, that's the deal that Leeway had. We had a terrible deal. We, you know, we had a terrible record label that refused to promote the band. Well, I, I noticed it seems like only recently. Um, Born to Expire and Desperate Measures showed up on the streaming services. Who who's in control of those records at this point? Um, on the streaming service, it's a, it's a deal that AJ had with uh, Reality um, Reality Records in Europe with Tom from Reality Records. Oh, that's in Europe. right. That's right. So so that that's where the streaming comes in. Okay. I mean, so, I, yeah, I'm still in touch with the other members. I predominantly Eddie and AJ. I mean, of course, everybody who if you don't know Eddie's going through some cancer treatments yes. right now. Yeah. So I speak to him every once in a while and say, you know, how's everything going? How you feeling? This and that. Because Eddie's busy, busy with his own thing, with his uh, Le- Eddie Leeway podcast. And uh, he's doing a feature on himself, his own documentary as well. You know, he's that's in development stages right now with Gordon and Lash from El Nino. And um, I'm just trying to work this out with uh, with uh, our, 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 the guy that wants to shoot the documentary for us, for the whole band, for yeah, Leeway. Yeah, yeah. That's extremely as, cool. As soon as we get everything to, to like the storyboard and we get everything to, you know, put together in the order of the documentary and how it wants to go, that's when we'll start filming it. So I'm I'm hoping to get it out by early winter. That'd be great. That'd be a quick turnaround time, but it'd be very cool. Yeah, I mean we've been we've been discussing and doing the idea since September, so that would be right. It would still be yeah. a quick turnaround time, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope I hope for the best with that. Um, is there anything else you want to cover here? Is there anything else you want to talk about with leeway with stuff you're doing now with with anything else? Um, uh, no, I mean I, nothing, nothing really. I mean, I mean if, if uh, I mean you you brought up the Black Ice band. That's the Black Ice is uh, I, I do a tribute to a classic rock and classic heavy metal. Yeah, and we're, we're a cover act. Yeah, and we we, we uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. I go on stage in bars and I play Black Sabbath and Judas Priest or <laughs> Def Leppard and whatever you want to play, and it's you get you drink for free and you get paid. That's awesome. I love it. That's that's. I, I need to learn. I need to learn to play an instrument just to do that. The, yeah, it's fun. Are you familiar with the the? I don't know. I don't even know what you would call them. The band Black Ice, the the original act Black Ice. Um, who who were they again? They're uh, like this. I mean, some people might say they're terrible, and they were this awful, shitty. I saw their image. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's a there's they, they have like an EP, and it's uh, depending on who you ask, it's pretty bad or it's pretty good, you know. But it's but it's just right, curious, right. yeah. Well, I'll tell you how I came up with the name. It had nothing to do with them. Yeah. Um, years back, I was a city bus operator for New York City Transit. Uh-huh. And there was always, you know, I used to like working the late night tour, the late night tours, like 4 to 1 in the morning, 5 to 1 in the morning. Yeah. Or 6 to 2 a.m. And those are great hours for me. I love those hours. And, um, you know, at midnight at 12.01 exactly, the console dispatch system would send over a message from the uh, from one of the console dispatchers. Uh, the time is 12.01 a.m. All operators are reminded to operate their buses in safe and courteous manners. Please, if with inclement weather out tonight, be aware of black ice on the roadway that can make the bus slide uncontrollably. Yeah. So I said, black ice, let me a cool name for a band. 
<laughs> it I was saying, black ice would be cool if it so that's why we call the black ice. Well, that's awesome. It's, it's funny how shit comes around back around like that. How long have you been doing black ice now? Oh God, sixteen years now. Jesus, <laughs> it's been fun. It's been it's been a good sixteen years. It's still going. It's still a good run. Thankfully. Awesome. Well, I hope you can keep doing that too. Um, all right, Mike. Well, if if we don't got anything else, let's just wrap this up. I'll I'll keep in touch with you. I'll let yeah, you know. I, if, um, I just want to say, Dan, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I just want to say, if anybody's listening, thank you to all the fans, all the Leeway fans that have been supporting us over all the years that have been still believing in the band. Just want to say thank you for everything. It really means a lot to us, even though you know we, we you know we could have been a lot larger, we should have been a lot larger, but we weren't. And the only reason why we still remain is because of the fan base. And just want to say thank you to everybody. That's awesome. Hey, hey, it's a little something to take with you. Um, we'll end this on this, but Born to Expire is a lot of people's favorite album. Oh, I agree. You, you know, you know what I mean. Like, and that's a that's a really that's a really cool thing that you you part of creating something that is somebody's favorite you know favorite album. That's huge. That's yeah. I wish Death from Measures was that well received as well on the metal <laughs> side because there was no promotion for it whatsoever. If if the average metalhead would listen to Death from Measures, it could have been really big. It, it, it could have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, the production isn't as good as Born to Expire. It's pretty flat. But that was because, in my opinion, the producer who was up there, Chris Williamson, he just wanted to... He, we rushed us through every recording, even Born to Expire. We were recording 16, 17-hour days because he wanted to pocket whatever was left of the recording budget. The guy was a straight-up thief. <laughs> well, fuck that guy. I mean, oh, fuck him is right. I mean, <laughs> I have no problem seeing his face, too, if he ever gets his hands on this podcast. <laughs> fuck you, Chris Williamson. I'll say right to your fucking face. No, no, no. No, no problem. You, you were a thief and a horrible manager. Well, I think that's the best way to end this one. <laughs> all right, Mike. Take care. I'll, 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 I'll... Thank you very much for having me. And uh, again, all you fans, thank you very much for staying true and believing in the band.
That, of course, was Leeway with Kingpin from the album Desperate Measures. Once again, I want to thank Mike for taking the time to have the conversation and the patience while it took me a couple weeks to actually get this out to you. So, hey, thanks, Mike. Leeway truly is one of my favorite New York hardcore bands, so I really appreciate him taking the time to have a chat. It's really cool to get to speak to the people that made the the music that you love so much, right? And that's part of the fun of doing this podcast. I've got to do it several times over the years. Um, Usually, though, we're doing something current and something that's coming out now. So I love the opportunity to take a look back and talk about the history of a band I love. So thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, Listen again, goddammit. I'm not going to beg you. I'm going to tell you to do it. I'm also going to tell you to go check out Mike's Black Ice cover band. Uh, it sounds awesome. It needs to come down here to Lancaster, Pennsylvania so I can rock out to some, some of the hits. Uh, speaking of the hits, I finally went to my first show uh, since COVID. We went to see Judas Priest and Sabat- Sabaton opened. Uh, which is There's something funny about Sabaton, all right? I don't know what it is. It's just... It's just Sabaton, all right? It's, it's totally, totally listenable music, but it's funny, all right? That guy's got that vest. What's that vest about? Sleeveless vest, camo pants, and he goes down and he does that pose that, like Shawn Michaels used to do. Uh, I like it. I'm into it. And he jumps up and down a lot like, a, like he's on a pogo stick. Anyway, I got more to say about Sabaton than I do Judas Priest because although I love Judas Priest and they truly are one of my favorite bands ever, uh, the show was kind of whack, and I don't think it was Judas Priest's fault at all. It was just weird. It was a weird. It was their first show in like two years. For some reason, they were playing Reading, Pennsylvania, for the first show in like two years, and they're celebrating 50 years as a band. And Halford, at 70 years old, kills it. Right, he still got those pipes, but the way the arena was set up with chairs out and shit just kind of made for a really dull crowd. And that must have sucked for those guys to play to it. But whatever, I guess that's the way things are right now. We're all getting back in the groove, and I'm glad to finally check Judas Priest off of my list. Now I got a lot more names to check off before they all die. One of those names isn't Dickless Tracy, but that is the band I'm going to play for you at the end. These guys are from Slovenia, the land of Luka Doncic, and they play what some might call Death Grind. The song is called Fade Dark Forest, and it's off of their upcoming album, Grave New World, and the band, once again, is called Dickless Tracy. Let's hear it. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.